Welcome to the seventh edition of Lockdown Culture. I am Ed Vasey, the former UK culture minister, but now promoted to the illustrious and dizzy heights of being the culture editor of Country and Townhouse magazine. And I'm Charlotte Metcalf, and I'm the associate editor at the magazine. Wonderful. So this week, we're starting off by going local, and we're going to explore how some artistic institutions are responding with great creativity and innovation to the constraints of lockdown. We want to begin with a very local gallery on the south coast, Hastings Contemporary, a gallery I have in fact visited. It's a little gallery that was probably not drawing big international crowds, Ed said patronisingly, before lockdown, but now, thanks to a raft of brilliant ideas and collaborations, it's suddenly being written about all over the world. It's featured in the New York Times to the BBC. And with us today, amid many of her numerous media engagements, the gallery's director, Liz Gilmore, is here to tell us what's going on at Hastings Contemporary. Welcome, Liz. Thank you. Good morning. Hello, Liz. We're absolutely delighted to have you with us because we're so impressed by what you're doing. And we really want you to tell us about two things amongst all the many things you are doing. Uh, Your robot tours and the new exhibition by the great children's illustrator and artist Quentin Blake that was due to open at Easter, but that can now be viewed in a film and in all sorts of ways on your website. So first, tell us about Quentin Blake's new work, inspired by an unknown taxi driver and his mural in the gallery that's been dubbed his Guernica. It's an incredible story. uh, And and that story starts a couple of years ago when Sir Quentin called for a taxi. Uh, This was when he was in London. And uh, rather than the taxi driver just driving off with with Quentin in the back, uh, rather alarmingly, perhaps at first or surprisingly, the taxi driver got into the back of the taxi with Quentin and and said those prophetic words, we live in worrying times. And, and what he did, in, in essence, was ask Quentin if he would create a contemporary Guernica. And Guernica, of course, was um, all about the sort of Spanish Civil War and um, the trauma of war at the time. And uh, Quentin at first thought, should I do this? Am I the right man for the job? And and it took a year and a half probably in gestation and talks and thinking, where would he do such an epic piece? And Quentin is our patron. We we have a close relationship with him. He's the most incredible artist. And we, of course, were very encouraging. I'm very intrigued, first of all, by the taxi driver getting in the back of the cab. So he must, he recognised Quentin Blake. It, it was a London black cab, and so um, it, in fact, we're, we're we're looking for this this driver. We we want him. And Quentin said, "How will I find you at the end if I do this piece?" And and the, and the guy said he kept an eye on things. He would know. So we're really hoping he comes. Well, forward. I think he probably. Uh, I suspect he probably listens to this podcast, so he'll probably be in touch. <laughs> any minute. I'm expecting him to be straight in touch. <laughs> yes. Um, so, so that gave birth to the idea of the exhibition, which we we called "We Live in Worrying Times." Um, the the actual mural, a thirty foot mural. So this is a piece, the length of a double decker bus, and uh, not as high. It's five feet tall, and it was made by Quentin in a day. I just want to ask you. I keep cutting you off at the best bit, but that's the barrel of recording a podcast, but I just wanted to ask you, what is Quentin's connection to Hastings? His his connection to Hastings is that he has a house up the road. Um, So he's had that for 20 years, maybe more. 
Um, and so he's always had uh, an, an affection for Hastings. He, he's had a very close relationship with the gallery, and I think um, for an illustrator who has, in a way, become so synonymous with, with people's childhood, um, he's, you know, all the Road Dahl books that we've all seen. I think the, the role that we have with Quentin is quite different. This is about um, his encouragement of his creativity. And I think if one has had to illustrate books, however imaginatively, for many, many years, uh, he's the most incredible artist. And I think uh, what defines his genius is his abundant creativity, his ability to constantly reinvent and to see the world with the freshness of a child and yet with the knowingness of, of great wisdom, uh, his sort of sage-like uh, knowledge, and, and, and does it with a, a level of humour and lightness of touch, which is so special, which is what we know as Clinton Blake. So now I love this story. This is exactly what this podcast is about. I, had, I knew so little about it uh, before we spoke. And actually, the, it had nothing to do with the reason we first thought about interviewing you, because we were... We saw the New York Times article about the robot and then emerged the whole Quentin Blake story, which is absolutely fascinating and engaging. But let's just quickly talk about the robot. We thought about the robot some time ago. We had been thinking around using a robot to help reach people that couldn't make it through the doors of the gallery. And the genius of the robot came from Esther Fox, one of our trustees, who herself is a, a wheelchair user. And she had begun to work with a number of partners to think about how robotic technology can help disabled people get to places that otherwise they wouldn't be able to attend. And she had the insight really to think about, as a disabled person, what it's going to be like when we're all in isolation, when we're all being contained. And just prior to lockdown, quite literally two days before, we had had a trustee meeting and, and thought, let's, let's get this robot. What perhaps we hadn't foreseen is the ability of this robot to take us vastly beyond the town and the region and even England and actually to go global. And I think one of my most profound experiences in my role as director of the gallery was that first robot tour that connected someone in Dubai, someone in America, someone in Switzerland, and someone down the road in Hastings who themselves was a wheelchair user, had visited the gallery once. And so it was the art was an important backdrop and reason, but the potential to galvanise people who would have no chance of meeting probably in any other context. That was just so inspiring and the conversations that ensued from that were incredible. Yeah, I mean, I've seen the fantastic reviews on your website and people are raving about it from families from America, as you say, and Switzerland and so on. Now, you have to book to go on this tour, so I haven't done it yet. Can you tell our listeners, um, you know, what you'll see when you go on this tour? Can you see anything in the gallery or, or how will it work? The robot looks like an iPad on a kind of segue, they're one of those sort of skateboards. It's not the most elegant thing, um, but, but it's robust and um, it, there's a sort of long pole that you can extend up and down. And you can start driving by using your arrow keys on your keyboard. So up, down, left and right enables you to turn left and right or move forward or back. And you can connect with up to five people 
it's a bit like a virtual golf buggy. Liz, I'm going to have to bring it to a close. We uh, pack a lot into our short little podcast, uh, but you've been absolutely brilliant, totally inspiring. I'm sure all our listeners are going to absolutely zoom over to your website now. And I think that bringing it all together, I think we've set ourselves a goal. Charlotte and I would like to be the first guests on the robot golf buggy driven by the London taxi driver <laughs> who inspired Quentin Blake when we find you him. You need to find him for me and we'll do that. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming on, Liz. Pleasure. Lovely to see you Take both. Care. Thank you. So that was Liz Gilmore firmly putting Hastings Contemporary on the map at the heart of the zeitgeist. And you can buy an original Quentin Blake drawing online because he's doing new drawings all the time and making them available for sale through the gallery. All details will be on our website. And they're amazingly affordable as well. And so we're moving on from Hastings to the City of London and to the heart of the Cultural Mile, where the Barbican has gone even more local than Hastings, with a radio project by the collaborative artist duo Jenny Hunt and Holly Darton. And to tell us all about it is the managing director of the Barbican Centre, which I'm not sure is a important enough title to do justice to the great man that is Sir Nick Kenyon. Nick, hello. Hello, Ed. Sarcasm will get you everywhere. You don't know the natural link between your last item on Hastings and this item, which is that my wife, Ghislaine, wrote the book on Quentin Blake, and he is one of our great, great heroes. This is amazing. Of course we knew that. It was all carefully planned. That's a brilliant nugget. Well, Nick, you are one of the greats, so it's wonderful to have you here, and it's wonderful to... Talk to you again. We worked together a lot when I was uh, Minister of Culture. You have very grand schemes planned for the Barbican and plans to build uh, London's first uh, music hall for many, many decades and state of the art. But we want to first cover your foray into radio production. Well, I th look, I think the first thing to say is uh, Ed, and I'm sure everybody is saying this, th this is a completely existential crisis for those of us who run big venues on the one hand, but also for individual artists on the other. It's an economic crisis for them, but also it's making us all think about the ways in which cultural venues ought to serve their communities. This is the Barbican you know, which is one of Europe's largest art centres, recognising the fact that in the immediate recovery from this crisis, people are not going to want to travel miles on public transport. We want to appeal to people who have the ability to walk or bike to the city. And the City of London, as you know, Ed, is this amazingly concentrated square mile where there's something of interest round every corner. And the Barbican is a total symbol of that. And what we want to do is to draw communities into it and make the place feel valued by the people who actually live here. Well, I'm just going to give our listeners a little bit of background to the the this idea for the local radio thing. So I gather that Hunt and Darton are two artists who met at St Martin's and they're known for their very successful interactive performance and installation pop-up cafe. 
and for doing local radio. So normally they go to festivals around the country and talk to local people producing radio that becomes effectively part of the festivals. Um, and they had been commissioned by you at the Barbican to do just that during your May Open Fest. But obviously the building's closed. So instead, they've come up with the idea of going out into the local community and devising a show from that. So can you tell us what's in this show and you know what's made it so interesting not just to locals but to everybody well all all sorts of things because we have at the barbican for instance uh, a, a wonderful residential estate where all sorts of fascinating people live and uh, we want to draw them into being interviewed and talked to and i think so many organizations are via this route finding different ways to stimulate their audiences, different ways to work. And we've seen some of the amazing digital offers that there are. There are wonderful digital offers on the Barbican website under the heading read, watch and listen. And so I think what we're trying to do is broaden the range of people we can uh, attract, but also keep them stimulated, um, with innovative, distinctive content through this whole period of lockdown. I think one of the things that we just have to recognise here, and it's a challenge for us all, is uh, it's, it's marvellous and it is our civic role to make all this material available to as wide a public as possible. What it doesn't do is generate income. And I think that is why you're seeing such a significant uh, cry of despair from many of the arts organisations uh, who, like us, are losing lots of income because we don't have ticket, uh, ticket buyers. Uh, and instead, we are having to work out a new ecology, which is rather more small scale, rather more human, rather more uh, immediate. And of course, it will require a great deal of rebalancing in the future, because we don't know how all these issues of social distancing and so on are going to affect us in in the near future. I I love what you said, and I wonder whether it's made you think differently, or maybe you're already thinking this about your digital interaction with your audiences and your physical interaction. Because I think, although it's obviously a ghastly time for everyone, the only silver lining I think I can think of is that weirdly you get this chance, this small cocoon to experiment with reaching new audiences who hopefully, uh, perhaps this is hope over experience, who hopefully will flock to the Barbican when they're physically able to, but it gives you a chance to reach out to people who you might not have who might not have found you before what we're all doing with our venues at the moment is retrofitting them to cope with the 21st century what we need now is something that really integrates these experiences for audiences because it's it's going to be um you know a, a blazing sun of live performance but there's going to be a whole penumbra and a whole solar system around it of digital experiences 
experiences, interactive experiences, immersive experiences. And that is one of the things which this really, really awful crisis, and one doesn't minimise it for a moment because of the impact that it's had on individual artists and organisations, that's one of the things this crisis has enabled us and forced us to do. Nick, thank you so much for coming on. We've really enjoyed the discussion. And um, I think a lot of people listening to this will be flocking to uh, listen to local radio and see some of the wonderful artists that are now on the website. Very kind of you to give us your time. Thanks very much, Ed. Much appreciated. Now summer is upon us, and normally at this time of year, some of us would be thinking about our holidays. But it looks as if most of us are going to be staying local. So Charlotte has decided to torture me and indeed herself by inviting our next guest on because I was planning to go to the Greek islands. Charlotte goes to the Greek islands every year. Uh, But now we've got the wonderful Bethany Hughes, who annoyingly is going to talk about the amazing Greek islands that we're not going to see this summer. She's with us today, obviously, to talk about her new series for Channel 5, A Greek Odyssey, which follows in the footsteps of the great Homeric hero Odysseus as he leaves the war behind in Troy to sail home to Ithaca. It starts this Friday at 9pm. Bethany, lovely to have you on the show. Oh, lovely to be chatting to you. Well, I'm lucky enough to have had a quick sneak preview. and. I have to admit, it's just made me really <laughs> jealous. It's made me want to get on the first plane out there. And I, I was just really quite <laughs> upset this morning looking at how beautiful it is. Um, uh, I mean, but what I think so brilliant, Bethany, about what you do is you've really brought it all the history alive as well. And I gather you did the last bit of filming just before lockdown, um, but it must have taken months and months and months because you follow this whole 900-mile journey. So can you... You sort of take us through it a bit absolutely yeah so um exactly as you say the idea was to follow the story of Odysseus and his incredible adventure filled journey all the way from Troy back home to Ithaca um as you say that's a 900 mile journey we actually covered 1700 miles um in our quest to to follow him uh, really to kind of celebrate that incredible story of resilience and adventure and what happens when temptations and trials are thrown in your path, but also to see, as we were doing the journey, what kind of, of truth there are behind the myths and what ancient history we could uncover. So we decided to sail over autumn and winter because we wanted really to sort of feel the rage of the sea as Odysseus did. We didn't just want to be drifting around on beautiful kinds of you know uh, blue reflective lakes but I think what you did so brilliantly is really take us on that journey with you because you faced you did face a lot of things like storms and earthquakes and you even got attacked by bees at one moment didn't you what was your hairiest moment oh we did the killer bees of Icaria is one of those things when you know the kind of locals we were doing um uh, meeting a lovely an amazing beautiful man uh, who's called the Odysseus of Honey, who lives on this fantastic island of Icaria or Icaria, sometimes pronounced, uh, which is named after Icarus, the you know the the as in Daedalus and Icarus, the boy who flew to the mm. sun and then the sun melts his his wings, the wax on his wings, and he plummets into the sea. And it was said that Ica- 
Icaria, Icaria, is where he was taken ashore to be buried. And there's a, a, a it's a very traditional island, really off the beaten track, has a kind of completely different attitude to time. So people don't have watches or deadlines on Icaria. I mean, they really don't, you know. So filming there was quite interesting. But they also all live to, to about 100. You know, it's got more 90-year-olds there than anywhere else in Europe because they're so kind of relaxed. Anyway, Odysseus, this Odysseus of honey, um, travels around by boat to, to tend his, his beehives. And we wanted to meet him. And he did say to us, just be careful because the bees, the local bees of Icaria, are just kind of strange killer bees. And we were slightly, yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> kind of... We're seasoned travellers, a small bumblebee won't, won't harm us. Oh, my goodness, I've never, ever experienced anything like it. So our cameraman, who was fully covered in a bee suit and protective gear, um, was stung through his mesh. He had uh, 16 bee stungs in the eyepiece of his camera because they started to attack it and him. And they, 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 they chase you down the road. You know? So anyway, so the, bee, the, the killer bees of Icaria were, were a surprise. Um, but yeah, also we, we, had, um, we were caught in a few storms. So we had one storm actually on the same on the Icarian Sea, which interestingly Homer describes the, the, this, that sea raging like an angry crowd, like a crowd uh, uh, roused by demagogues. And we were caught in swells that were nine metres high in, in seven hours, sort of clinging on with, our, with white knuckles. Um, and yes, the earthquake... <laughs> The earthquake was unexpected as well. So we got back to, to finally to Ithaca, thinking we'd sort of survived all these extraordinary um, uh, dangers and adventures and excitements. And on the last night, as I was lying in bed, really did think I have just felt the earth move and, uh, <laughs> and, and kind of came to to see everything in my room shaking. Bethany, you've slightly tempered my jealousy now if, you're, if you've been attacked by killer... Bees. I'm always interested behind the scenes in these documentaries. I mean, are you out? You're a sort of gang of ten people living together for three months. I mean, it's actually quite hard work. It's sort of long days, and presumably you all have massive rows, uh, just as I do with my family in lockdown. I mean, it's a kind of version of lockdown, isn't it? Well, it is. You is. You definitely become this family on the road. So you're a kind of kind of crazy family in a van not 10 uh uh just more like uh five people together so we really know one another inside out you know there are no secrets uh between us at all uh, uh you know there was a there was a moment where um i was caught in another storm going on under this amazing underwater archaeology dig to look at the this, these shipwrecks uh, there's a place between the islands of samos and forni where there are 58 ancient shipwrecks on the seabed and again a storm whipped up and I got completely soaked to the skin and luckily had some spare filming clothes in my bag so sort of you know hid behind a fishing net and and got changed and the winds were so strong they blew I'm not joking all of my clothes out to sea including my Marks and Spencer's pants. Your Marks and Spencer's pants will be the subject of an archaeological dig in 2000 years time. It's going to completely throw historians I'm afraid they will. And I just feel, you know, I can't bear the shame, not because of the pants, but because it was littering. You know, I've never littered in my life and I've left this terrible, terrible offering to the sea gods. And just finally, Bethany, so since you have had this rather 
wonderful experience of touring all the Greek islands before lockdown. Just tell us which is your favourite island. Oh, gosh, it's, I mean, you know, that is like picking between your children. It really is. I mean, Crete... I knew you were going to say yeah, that. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry to be so predictable. Um, I mean, Crete, you know, there is something about Crete. It was it was called the Big Island, um, Megalonissi, uh, by the Greeks. And it has this incredible wealth of history and myth. And uh, actually, when we're there, we discover a, 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 a sacrifice, of a human sacrifice to appease the gods. So, it's absolutely kind of saturated uh, with history, um, uh, so so that's an extraordinary place. I'll always I'll always travel back there if I can. But I think I think probably the greatest surprise actually was this little islands Ikaria, which I've never been to before. I've been to, to yeah. No, I think it sounds wonderful. It sounds so intriguing. Really, really special. Really like the island that time forgot. Um, so mm. as soon as I'm allowed, that that is where I'm where I'm heading straight back good I mean it sounds a bit trite to say this but I think it's kind of family viewing I mean I know my kid loves uh the Greek myths so this is exactly the kind of program we can all sit down as a family uh and watch so Bethany thanks so much for lifting the lid on the imminent BAFTA award-winning documentary on the Greek islands and Greek history that is about to air thanks so much for coming on yeah total pleasure be, be safe you, everyone take Thank care you. bye so after all those brilliant interviews, we just wanted to pick up on a few things that have also caught our eye, which we thought you might be interested in. First of all, I want to talk about the Oscar Book Prize, which was founded by my friend James Ashton, who is a sort of city editor, city journalist. He very sadly lost his son, Oscar, a few years ago, and he and his uh, wife set up a prize in his memory, which I uh, went to, used to go to uh, the events every year. The patron is... Princess Beatrice, and every year it gives out a prize to the best children's book uh, of the year, in their opinion. Obviously, it uh, this year included a lot of prestigious judges like Francesca Simon, the writer of Horrid Henry, broadcaster Dermot O'Leary, and others. Uh, and this year it went to a guy called Benji Davis, who has uh, won it once before, actually. And this book is about a tadpole that grows up. So if you're looking for a book for your little ones, if you have little ones, please go either to the Oscar Book Prize site or pick up Benji Davis's book from a reputable online bookseller. Uh, the other thing I personally want to draw attention to is uh, the Contemporary Art Society face mask. Two reasons. One is my first ever job, just to show you the life of privilege that I've always led, was with the Contemporary Art Society. They used to do this wonderful supermarket pop-up gallery every year where you could just go in and buy a, a painting on the wall and I as a teenager would wrap it up for you and put it in a plastic bag and you'd walk away with it. The Contemporary Art Society has been going for something like 100 years. It exists to buy contemporary art for public galleries but what they've done here is pick up on the zeitgeist which is obviously face masks now they're going to become ubiquitous are going to become the new fashion items. I saw the other day for example that Adidas uh, is now selling face masks with its uh, the profits going to charity. And uh, here, if you buy a face mask from the Contemporary Art Society, you will support emerging artists. And the artists uh, that are the uh, first off the block are David Shrigley, who does those hilarious sort of cartoon arts, Eddie Peak, Linda and Yinka Shonibe. And Yinka Shonibe, you will remember from the ship in a bottle on the Trafalgar Square 4th 
plinth and you can buy one mask for 35 quid or all four for 120. I think they're definitely going to be collector's items. And finally, coming fully round back to being local again, I just want to give a plug to my local theatre, The Bush, which is following in our footsteps by broadcasting on a Monday and doing a series of monologues. Then short monologues and then new work by British and Irish playwrights. They're released every fortnight and available for a year. And the first one you can watch is called Skype Date. I've seen it. It's a very funny look at the perils of dating in isolation. And the latest one out now is by the Dublin-based playwright Sean Dunn and it's called Beds and it's about the end of a relationship. And we think they're really good fun and good for the bush. But I think the Bush monologues are a great example. Again, I think a lot of this stuff will carry on after the pandemic's over as a way of reaching out to your audiences. I think theatres can survive better, potentially, if they have sort of membership schemes and so on, where people are getting real tangible benefits above and beyond the sort of traditional model of people getting discounts or first dibs on tickets. I think having additional digital content, which people, to a certain extent, will have got used to, uh, is going to be a great thing for theatres going forward. Anyway, that's my two pennies worth. I rather agree, and I rather like the way as well that, um, given it's my local, we've brought the whole thing back to being a local. So thank you very much for anybody who is local listening to us and everybody around the world who we know is listening to us. Goodbye Including from Ed the and Ben and Nick. Old Girls. We haven't <laughs> forgotten the Ben and the Old Girls. <laughs> Bye. We love you. Bye. <laughs>